Okay, so today, once again, is the 9th of Av, and um, it's a time of uh, fasting and reflection for the destruction of the first and second temples. Well, what's always a good practice to do, of course, because um, there's a few, uh, I think, visitors, some new people. It's always nice to kind of get, take a look at the biblical basis for the ninth of Av, because, of course, it's not a Levitical 23. It's not um, one of the prescribed Moedim, but it is in Scripture. It is in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8. Zechariah, chapter 8, is on page... 777. Can't find that. Here we go. There we go. Oh. And it's down about 19 verses. We have a reference for the ninth of Av. A little obscure one, but it's there. Um, verse 18 um, of chapter 8 of Zechariah says. Uh, the word of Adonai Sevaot came to me. Adonai Sevaot says, "The first days of the fourth, uh, the fast days of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and ten mo tenth months are to become times of joy, gladness, and cheer for the house of Yehuda. Therefore, love, truth, and peace." Um, and so, there are a handful of fast days here. And there's not a whole lot else um, that describes exactly what these days are of these four months. Now, if you do a little digging in Scripture, you can kind of get a hint for what some of these are. For example, the seventh month. If you do uh, some digging, and we're not going to go there, but if you do some digging in Jeremiah 40 and 41, you'll find out that in the seventh month... Um, one of the governors was killed, Gedaliah. After Nebuchadnezzar pulls most of the people out of, uh, most of the Jews out of Israel, um, there is still a remnant left behind. And so Gedaliah, very righteous man, he gets kind of put in charge of the remnant while everyone else is exiled to Babylon. Um, but Gedaliah, in the seventh month, it says, it doesn't tell you what day, but in the seventh month, um, one of his friends actually assassinates him. And so there is a fast of the seventh month. It's actually on the third day of Tishrei. There's really no commandment that tells you you have to fast, but that's just where tradition kind of comes in. Tradition tells you it's the third day. Uh, it's the fast of the seventh month. The tenth month there, it mentions the tenth month. That's the fast of Tibet. And it actually gives you the day on that because in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 1, it talks about the, um, Nebuchadnezzar um, coming against Jerusalem and camping against the walls on the 10th day of the 10th month. So that's called the Fast of Tibet. There is the Fast of the 4th month. This is the Fast of Tammuz. It's observed on the 17th of Tammuz. It, um, traditionally, is the day Moshe came down the mountain and found the Israelites engaged in idolatry, broke the tablets. It also memorializes the day the Romans took over Jerusalem. 
If you read through the story of the golden calf and you kind of do some rough math, I believe that's where you come up with a date of the 17th of the fourth month. Again, there's a lot of filling in that needs to be done with tradition because it's nice when Scripture can interpret Scripture, but Scripture really doesn't fill in some of the dates for us or tell us exactly um, what to do, i.e. How, how to fast and some of the other details. It'd be nice, but that's where, that's where tradition helps to fill in these gaps and inform us what these are. Because if these are to be times of joy in the future, uh, maybe we should be tapping into them now and trying to uh, participate in the sadness of that now. And the ninth of Av is part of that sadness. The ninth of Av, of course, is a notoriously terrible day for the Jewish people. Jeremiah 52, 12 through 14 sort of memorializes this fast of the fifth month. In Jeremiah chapter 52, it says, In the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, the house of Adonai was burned down. So tradition has it. It was put to fire on the ninth day and burnt down on the tenth day. And the ninth of Av is notorious, like I just said, for many, many other different terrible tragedies that have befallen the Jewish people. Both first and second temples on the 9th of Av were destroyed. Um, and the year 70 CE, of course, was a second temple. But not long after that, the year 135 was the Bar Kokhba revolt. And it was a failed revolt. It would end up expelling most of the people out of the country and the burning of Jerusalem. But what's significant also about this is that's what drove the final wedge between the Jewish followers of Yeshua and the rest of the Jewish community was the Bar Kokhba revolt. That was sort of the final division between the two groups. It really started many years earlier back in Rome, around the year 70-ish. There was already tension going on. We read in the book of Romans where Paul is telling the Gentiles not to be arrogant towards the natural branches. There's already a division starting but certainly the 9th of Av in the year 135 after the Bar Kokhba revolt, it was pretty much finalized. Many other terrible things happened. In the 11th century, the Pope began the Crusades on the 9th of Av. A couple, couple centuries later, the Jews are expelled from England. A couple centuries later, the Spanish Inquisition, the Jews are expelled. The list goes on and on. So certainly it is a time for mourning. So the readings are found, um, are very powerful, of course, uh, during these last three weeks between, you know, uh, leading up to the ninth of Av. And tomorrow morning's reading is the half Torah portion comes from Jeremiah. I found it very, um, very interesting. And when reading through it, I couldn't help but think of some of the similarities to the words of our master Yeshua. So we're going to go there and read the half Torah portion for tomorrow's readings. It's in Jeremiah chapter 8. Page 561. This is a half Torah for the ninth of Av. And it begins in Jeremiah chapter 8. 
Actually, I think it begins on the next page because it begins with verse 13. So I guess 562, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13. Um, I will put an end to them, says Adonai. There are no grapes on the vine and no figs on the fig tree. Uh, the leaf has withered, and what I have given them will pass from their possessions. Uh, why are we sitting still? Assemble. Let's enter the fortified cities and meet our doom there. For Adonai, our God, has doomed us. He has uh, given us bitter water to drink because we have sinned against Adonai. When we look for peace, nothing good comes. When we seek a time of healing, instead there is terror. From Dan can be heard the snorting of his horses when his stallions neigh. The whole land trembles, for they come, devouring the land and all in it, the city and those who dwell there. Yes, now I'm sending snakes among you, vipers that no one can charm, and they will bite you, says Adonai. My grief has no cure. I am sick at heart. Listen to my people's cry of distress out of a distant land. Is Adonai no longer in Siom? Is her king no longer there? Why do they provoke me with their idols and their futile foreign gods? The harvest has passed, the summer is over, and still we are not saved. The daughter of my people is broken, and it's tearing me to pieces. Everything looks dark to me, and horror seizes me. Has Gilead exhausted its healing resin? Is there no physician there? If there is, then why is the daughter of my people so slow to recover her health? I wish my head were made of water and my eyes were a fountain of tears so that I could cry day and night over the slain of the daughter of my people. I wish I were out in the desert in some traveler's lodge. Then I could get away from my people and distance myself from them. Indeed, they are all adulterers. A band of traitors is what they are. They bend their tongues. They bow a falsehood. They hold sway in the land, but not for truth. For they go from evil to evil, and me they do not know, says Adonai. Everyone, be on guard against your neighbor. Don't trust even a brother, for every brother is out to trick you, and every neighbor goes around gossiping. Everyone deceives his neighbor. No one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to lie. They uh, wear themselves out with sinning. You inhabit a world of deceit. Deceitfully, they refuse to know me, says Adonai. Therefore, says Adonai Sephaot, I will, I will refine them and test them. What else can I do with the daughters of my people? Their tongues are sharpened arrows, and with their mouths they speak deceit. They say nice words to their neighbors while inwardly plotting against them. Should I not punish them for these things, says Adonai? Should I not uh, take vengeance on such a nation? I weep and wail for the mountains and lament over the desert pastures because they have been burned up. No one passes through. They no longer hear the sound of cattle. The birds, the wild animals have fled and gone. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, turn it into a lair for jackals, and make the cities of Yehuda desolate with no one living there. Who is wise enough to understand this? To whom has the mouth of Adonai spoken so he can't proclaim it? Why has the land perished? and laid waste like a desert so that no one passes through. Adonai answers, because they abandoned my Torah, which I set before them. 
and neither listened to what I said nor lived accordingly, but lived by their own heart stubbornness and the Baalim their ancestors taught them. Therefore, says Adonai Sevaot, the God of Israel, I will feed this people bitter wormwood and give them poisonous water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations that neither they nor their ancestors have known, and I will send the sword after them until I have wiped them out. Thus says Adonai Sevaot. Mark this, then summon the mourning women so that they will come. Send for those who are best at mourning so that they will come. Have them hurry and wail for us so our eyes will be wet from crying and our eyelids gush with tears. For the sound of wailing is heard from Sion. We are utterly ruined. We are completely ashamed because we have left the land and our homes have been torn down. You women, hear the word of Adonai. Let your ears receive the words from his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail. Have each other teach a friend how to lament. Death has come up through our windows. It has entered our palaces. It has cut down children in the streets and young people in the public places. Say, here's what Adonai says. The corpses of people are scattered like dung in an open field, like sheaves left behind by the reaper with no one to gather them. And the half Torah finishes with these last couple verses. It says, here's what Adonai says. The wise man should not boast of his wisdom. The powerful should not boast of his power. The wealthy should not boast of his wealth. Instead, let the boaster boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Adonai, practicing grace, justice, and righteousness in the land. For in these things I take pleasure, says Adonai. That's the half Torah portion. Very similar to um, what Amanda read from the first chapter of Isaiah. The, the prophets go right after the leadership. So, and Isaiah calls out the leaders because they're leading the people astray. They're abandoning his Torah. But the half Torah ends as a lot of, most all the half Torah ends with some hope. That half Torah ends with um, Adonai giving advice on the purpose of life, right? To understand and know God. Um, he extends a revelation of his nature, right? He is gracious, he is just, he is righteous. And so the people have a choice, live by the ways of Adonai or live by the world. When they turn from God and go their own way, there is punished, that is exile. That's what all the prophets warn. And that is the reason for the destruction of both temples and this exile is meant to turn them back to God, turn them back to him. Like I mentioned earlier, a lot of this just reminded me of Yeshua. Yeshua tried to warn the people as well. Let's turn to Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is, I'm sure everyone is very familiar with this, but for the sake of posterity and going to just skip through this here a little bit because like the prophets before him Yeshua is doing what Isaiah did and he's doing what Jeremiah did he is um, trying to address the leaders and get them um, to perform teshuva to get them to repent what he's trying to do here um, let's pick it up in verse 13 he is uh, he says, Woe to you, hypocritical Torah teachers and pure shame, for you are shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
neither entering yourselves nor allowing those who wish to enter to do so. Isn't that interesting? Because he's been preaching for a few years now about the kingdoms. Uh, the kingdom is near and the kingdom's within you. The kingdom's tangible, something that can be realized, but it's the leadership that's shutting the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces. He calls them blind guides, verse 16. Woe to you blind guides, you say, if someone swears by the temple, he's not bound by his oath. Eh, the, the Pharisees are just not doing their job, guiding the people spiritually. Verse 23, woe to you hypocritical Torah teachers and pure shame. You pay your tithes and mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of Torah, justice, mercy, and trust. That kind of sounds like what Adonai says in the half Torah portion about who he is. Verse 37. Woe to you, hypocritical Torah teachers and pure shim, you're like whitewashed tombs which look, on, look fine on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead people's bones and all kinds of rottenness. Likewise, you appear to people from the outside to be good and honest, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and far from the Torah. Sounds just like Jeremiah and Isaiah. Woe to you, hypocritical Torah teachers and pure shim, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the Zadokim, the great ones. And you say, had we lived when our forefathers did, we would never have taken part in killing the prophets. In this you testify against yourselves that you are worthy uh, descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your fathers started. Um, verse 37. Uh, finishing off chapter 23 here. Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, you killed the prophets. You stole those who are sent to you. How often I wanted to gather your children just as a hen gathers her chicken under her wings, uh, but she refused. So look, God is abandoning your house to you, leaving it desolate. For I will tell you that from now on you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. Just like all the other prophets before him, Yeshua tried to get his people to listen to him. Yeshua didn't hate the people. He loved these people. These were fellow Pharisees. These were people that, as a child, he'd go to the temple and be conversing and having dialogue with them and blowing their minds. And as an a older child and young adult, he'd be going to synagogue, as was his custom, of course. And as an adult, after he began his ministry and rumors of weird things and miraculous things that he's doing begin to circulate, some of the Pharisees, of course, have their hearts hardened, but many of them come to him and ask him. They invite him over for dinner. They come meet with him in the middle of the night. These are people that he loved and was trying to get them to turn their ways around. And many of them, for many of them, it did work. After his death and resurrection, that was um, another Pharisee, Joseph of Arimathea. He was one that came to help bury our master. And in Acts chapter 5, when the uh, disciples are brought in by the Sadducees to the Sanhedrin for persecution, it was the Pharisee Gamaliel that actually um, 
got them to go free. But he loved the people, but he was realizing that even though he was prophesying to them about their um, conduct, that they were not going to turn from their ways. Luke 19.28 kind of sums this up. Luke 19.28 is when Yeshua is coming in to the city. Luke 19.28 says, um, After saying this, Yeshua went on and began the ascent to Yerushalayim. This would be for the last time. As he approached Beit Pigay and uh, Beit Anya by the Mount of Olives, he sent two Talmudim instructing them, go to the village ahead, and on entering it, you will find a colt tied up that has never been ridden before. That is, um, until untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you're untying it, tell them the Lord needs it. Um, th- that's we're get preparing for the Last Supper here, the Last Seder. Those who were sent uh, went off and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, because the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Yeshua and throwing their robes uh, on the colt, they put Yeshua on it. And as he went along, the people carpeted the road with their clothing. And as he came near Yerushalayim, where the road descends from the Mount of Olives, the entire band of Talmudim began to sing and praise God at the top of their voices for all the powerful works they'd seen. Blessed is the king who is coming in the name of Adonai. Shalom in heaven and glory in the highest places. Some of the Pirishim in the crowd said to him, Rabbi, reprimand your Talmudim. But he said to them, I tell you that if they keep quiet, the stones will shout. When Yeshua had come closer and he could see the city, he wept over it. He wept over the city because like the other prophets, he knew that repentance wasn't going to happen in that generation. And he knew that the temple was going to be destroyed. And he knew that after that, there would be lots of death. There would be exile. Thousands upon thousands of his Jewish brothers and sisters slaughtered. And so he weeps for his people. He weeps for his city. Yeshua was right, of course. The temple was destroyed. The people would go into exile. Yeshua, like the prophets before him, tried to coax the people into true and complete repentance, but it was of no avail. He would soon suffer and die a death willingly for the sake of his people and for all mankind, that we might have new life in this world, of course, and life in the world to come. The fast days spoken of in Zechariah are part of the story of the people, of how they turn from Adonai and abandon him for a time and then have repentance and come back. It's just part of that cycle. It's the whole cycle of obedience, then peace, then disobedience, then sorrows, then redemption. Chris talks about this quite a bit in his study in Judges. I'm not a prophet, of course, but it seems reasonable to me that maybe we're ending one of these cycles and uh, perhaps Messiah is coming once again to start something new, at least I would hope. So we should learn from these fast days to, as Amanda was saying, avoid the mistakes that they made. We follow his ways, strive to know him, strive to understand him. So how should we observe these days? 
There are many traditions that Judaism teaches, of course. You can do a little search and find all kinds of things. But a good way to start is to simply be aware of the sense of loss that the temples were. All of the great men and women of the Bible lamented the loss, including our master Yeshua. We can take a little time and meditate on a loss of life, the loss of a space that had the presence of God residing in it. The temples had the presence of God. Yeshua called the temple my father's house. That's a term of endearment. And we can look forward in anticipation, of course, of the kingdom, but also of the third temple, as described by the prophet Ezekiel, I believe, built under the direction and authority of Yeshua himself after he has returned. We remain vigilant, of course, in following his ways and not in the ways of the world. This is a good way to sort of get into um, appreciating and meditating on these fast days and certainly the ninth of Av. After the Messiah comes, Tisha B'Av will be transformed into a day of joy and gladness and feasting, as it says in Zechariah, so we should share in that now so we can enjoy the gladness then. And after Messiah comes, there will be righteousness and justice in the land. And Israel is in exile now. But let us be seen as people who are striving to understand and know God and be people that appreciate justice and righteousness and strive for that. And we share in the sadness of the prophets. We share in the sadness that Yeshua felt as he's seen his generation slip away into exile so that we may share in the joyousness of his kingdom when he returns to gather his people and bring us back into the land. May that be soon and in our days. Shabbat shalom.